welcome you to John Wesley United Methodist Church's podcast. We are a church that connects people to Jesus. We are currently moving through a message series called The Seven Essential Questions of Faith. Now, these aren't the only seven questions. They're just seven essential questions as we lead up to Resurrection Sunday, Easter morning. This week, we're talking about the question, am I accepted? Where do we find our acceptance? Who do we ask that question to? How does the world accept us? What is our family, our organizations, whatever it is? We're looking deep inside John chapter 8. At the beginning, there is a story in which Jesus is confronted with a woman who is caught in the sin of adultery. And how Jesus deals with this woman teaches a great gospel truth lesson about how we are accepted in the midst of who we are in even our sin. And so I pray that you find some inspiration in the midst of this message, and I hope you have a great week. There's a particular verse that Jesus actually quotes when he is hanging on the cross. And it's from Psalms. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if we want to have a real and authentic faith, we need to be able to question. And our faith needs to hold up to the hard questions, the difficult questions of life. That's why we're moving through some seven essential questions of the Christian faith, because Our faith should be able to handle contradictions at times and scrutiny and and heartbreak and anger and uh, doubt. See, God doesn't shy away from that. God welcomes that. Because God, we say around here, is big enough to handle all that sort of thing, right? I mean, he can handle our doubt. He can handle our questions. He can handle sometimes our anger, right? Now, this message today is... Really, if I had a, an entire room full of students and children, that's what this message would be, who they would be for. I think I would be speaking to the students and to the children. Now, it reaches all ages. It's for all of us, of course. But I know that this is a big issue for young people. I know it because for me it was a big issue and it still continues to be an issue in my life, believe it or not. It's got some big stuff that goes along with it because as we talk about this idea, am I accepted? Am I accepted? I know that at times when I was younger, I used to ask it a lot more, but I still ask that times of myself and and. For some reason, it still weighs on my heart a lot of times. Now, I want to start and do something a little different today. We're going to start with some scripture, and then we're going to move into a video. And so I want you to just sort of clear your mind a little bit. This is going to be an experiential exercise for us this morning, okay? 
I don't want you to have any preconceived notion of where the message is going, what the answer might be. I don't want you to actually begin to, to come up with these formulating uh, your own judgments on or ideas of certain things. This is an exercise that should move us into a place to where it should stir our emotions. We should hear some things. We should see some things. And ultimately, it opens our minds and our hearts. And so what I want to do is I want to start with giving you just a picture of the reading of the scripture that we're about to get into. And it's John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Okay? And we're going to get there in a minute, but just give you a picture of that. And then we're going to move into a video. So here's the picture. Here's the background of this scripture verse. Jesus is teaching, he's preaching in the temple courts. And so this is during the festival of the tabernacles or festival of the shelter. And it's probably around the fifth day. And in verse one, we're going to hear the time and the place, of course. But it's not really just so much about the time and the place. It's about what is taking place because Jesus is in the temple and he is, has a crowd around him. He has been there more than just this one time. He's been there multiple times and he's teaching and he has taken the, the posture of authority. He is sitting down and crowds have gathered and he is teaching about God. He is teaching about the kingdom of God. He is teaching about the image of God. And all of his teachings are a threat to the religious established leaders of his time. So let's listen to this story. Let's just let it sink in. Let's find some identity with it. And then we'll move into our video. That's about five minutes long and then come back and debrief some things what it says in John chapter 8. Beginning in verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he just stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. Then Jesus stood up again and, and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I Go and sin no more. I just watched my father die. I keep saying to my husband at the end of the day, like, I got nothing done. I clean the counters. And he says, that's all right. That's all right. You're grieving. And I'm fighting it. You know, I don't want to stop. I don't want to slow down. I don't want to sit in the chair and think about this hard stuff. But you have to. 
I mean, you gotta, you gotta let it happen. So. Well, you know, as Americans, a huge part of our identity is we're fighters. We solve problems. We don't accept things the way they are. That's what's how our country came to be, right? We were someplace and they said, this is how it works here. And we said, see you later. It's not our habit to accept. It's our, it's our habit to struggle. It's our habit to resist. What are we if we put down this sword, right? Are we phony? Are we weak? It's difficult to accept when you failed at something. It's like a deep sense of shame, first of all, and embarrassment. It can be uncomfortable, it can be um, frightening, difficult and unsettling. My vulnerability will be perceived as weakness. Acceptance is like the Mount Everest of human emotions. I think it's that hard to get there, and I think it's that hard to stay there. The question is, is what is accepting something? Accepting I have a brother. Sometimes he's a little annoying. You know, you're a kid, you get sad, you cry. But this was something scary and dark and deep and felt inescapable. The bulimia became a way of rejecting myself, rejecting my feelings. It's the opposite of acceptance. Despicable, despicable, I am, I am despicable. After I saw my face and my body for the first time, my mind immediately went to this, this character that I remember being so afraid of, you know, in the 80s, that character being Freddy Cougar. When the little girl passed away, I felt like I failed her. I spent 10 years covering conflicts in the Balkans, the Middle East, West Africa. People were dying right in front of me. They died. They died. And uh, I refused to accept that. I wanted to wake up and be a boy. My mother would say it's never going to happen. I'd have these visions in my head. Uh, is she going to accept me when I lose my face? You know, is my kids going to still love me? Is my family still going to uh, want to see me? The helplessness was, I think, the worst for me. He would come to me and say, kill me and get me out of my misery. Now that is torment. I suffered an enormous breakdown. I, I was sort of a combination of a nervous breakdown and post-traumatic stress disorder. My worldview becomes very narrow, very limited. Why, why couldn't you do this? Why couldn't you fix it? Why do you think that? You shouldn't think that. This is what you should think. And I thought I was a terrible parent. I should have, should, should, should. Every time I, I tensed up, every time I fought against it, it just got worse. What's the next door I'm supposed to open and, and, have, and where's the key? It's like a, one of those Chinese finger um, traps where you struggle and your fingers get more and more caught. If you cannot change it, you must accept it as it stands. And as it stands, it is very painful for you. I bet most times you just get worn out. I started praying a lot and I said, God, I need to come out of this hole. I need to accept what happened to me. Is it okay for me to 
feel angry or ashamed or sad. Allow yourself to feel like a failure. I learned how to sit in the midst of the, the pain, the discomfort, the anguish. I remember sitting in the house and not going anywhere and peeking out the windows and hearing people laugh and, and have a good time. And, and I, I wanted that. And it literally is just doing this. <sighs> Unlocking the front door and walking out. Immediately, the perspective begins to broaden and open up. You feel a release. It's like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. The world didn't end. It didn't end at all. I feel like I'm crying all the tears that I never got a chance to cry. Poof, it kind of loses its power over me. It's the phoenix rising from the ashes. It is that renewal and that rebirth, and the armor falls off, and you become vulnerable to the unknown and the unknown of yourself. If I can be you know, at peace internally, then I'm, you know, I'm fully there present for other people when they need me. I think it's tiny little steps um, that make tiny little changes that over time you turn back and think I climbed a mountain. So the question we're dealing with is, am I accepted? Question of the day, am I accepted? Maybe, am I okay, am I likable? We all ask it, am I lovable, am I accepted? So the answer I wanna give you as we start out is no. You aren't accepted. And you're thinking, ha, I come to church for hope. Now the preacher is telling me I'm not accepted, but think about it, no matter where you live, where you do life, no matter what country you're in or continent or community or company or family or neighborhood or church, you are not accepted exactly like you are. Wholeheartedly, God-born, real, authentically you. Nope. No matter what side of the coin you are on, politically or socially or spiritually or religiously, even if you're born again or born that way or self-made or you cheated to get to the top, you're not accepted because the reality is you don't have enough money for some people. The reality is, is you don't have the right pedigree and you're not a part of the right organizations and networks for some people. You aren't attractive enough. You aren't attracted to the right type of people. You don't have the right beliefs or the right connections. You don't make the grade because you're not tall enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. Whatever it is, you don't do things right enough. The problem is, is that you like the wrong music, huh, right? The problem is, is that you like Beto more than you like Trump. The problem is, is you wanna build the wall and you don't wanna build the wall. The problem is, is you don't want anybody to have guns, but you wanna have guns maybe. The problem is, is that you're too independent and you just dress differently. The problem is, is that you're theologically progressive 
and you're biblically conservative maybe, or maybe you're socially liberal and financially conservative, maybe you're a centralist or a moderate, and you really don't want to pick sides. And let me tell you something, you're white, or you're black, or you're worse, you're a white male. Maybe even worse, you're a black male. Or maybe you're married and you're a Christian. Or you're single and you're a woman. What's wrong with you, right? I mean, that doesn't even talk about spiritually thinking, uh, speaking. is You struggle with the wrong sins. That's why you're not accepted. You're, you struggle with the right sins. You struggle with sin altogether. You live too straight-laced. You're too nice to some people, or some, you're not nice enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't know enough about the Bible. You don't love Sunday morning worship enough. Hmm. You don't love God enough, or witness enough, or you judge to others too much, or you don't judge others enough. Whatever it is, you're too spiritual, or you're not spiritual enough. In spite of what the world promises to you, human acceptance will never, ever be enough. Because the world that we live in will ask you to be fake. It will ask you to compromise who you are, to wear a mask, to hide something, because you will never truly be worthy or measure up, and you will never truly be accepted by its standards. Doesn't matter what institution you're a part of. Doesn't matter what organization you're a part of. I mean, you could be doing life with the United Methodist Church or the SBC. You could be doing life at, with the ACLU or the NRA or the NCAA, right? Doesn't really matter. You're gonna be accepted by one maybe, but not the other because of who you are and what you've done and what you haven't done or maybe what you're doing that only God and you know about. Kelly Kerrigan says it this way, author and speaker. She said, acceptance is the Mount Everest of human emotions. It's that hard to get there and it's that hard to stay there. And I think she's right. On a lot of things, she's right. So why this message? Because we desire to be accepted no matter what age we are, especially young people, as they're working through what does it mean for them to fit into the world, what does it mean for them to find their image as an image of God, right, and divine understanding of who they are. And it's not unique to me or to them and to you. It's, it's, it's a part of who we are because our hearts gravitate to environments of acceptance. It's how we were made how we were divinely created. So how do we solve this problem? How do we accept ourselves and accept others and at the same time live a holy and godly life in Jesus Christ? How do we do that? So you take this subject, which we actually planned months ago, fits perfect into the, the headlines of the news right now, doesn't it? 
I mean, you could rip it out of the headlines with the United Methodist Church, right? What's acceptable? Who's acceptable in marriage and ordained ministry, right? Or possibly even the acceptance scandal, right, that went on this week we heard about. This FBI investigation and all these charges of these wealthy people and influential people that paid to get their children accepted into colleges that they couldn't get into. So they cheated and they bribed their way in. So acceptance is a big issue. I want to talk about myself for a little bit. I want to reveal something. I want to, I want to talk about something that I deal with as a pastor and as a person, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's how I motivate myself. I just want us to think about this. I want to tell you about the driver that's deep down inside of me sometimes that I love to be competitive with myself, okay? Now, but the thought and the driver starts with this understanding. I'm unacceptable. That is unacceptable. And this is how it works out, okay? I didn't get up this morning. I didn't go to the gym enough this week. I ate too many fatty foods. I didn't eat enough vegetables. Dunbar, that's unacceptable, okay? Or God gave me an opportunity to grow myself, grow the kingdom of God, grow this church, whatever it is, and I missed it, I ignored it, I was too lazy. Unacceptable, Dunbar, unacceptable. Or I encountered a decision to do something and I failed to do it. So I'm worthless until I do do it. Unacceptable, Dunbar. Are you following me? I'm unacceptable until I do it. That is unacceptable until I do it. Okay? This type of motivation, I mean, if we're truthful, it gets you places, y'all. Doesn't it? It can get you to the top of the ladder, it has power, it has emphasis, it can get you far in life, but it's got big problems because it kills you from the inside out. Now, if I think about that and my motivation and why I love God, I love God because it's motivated by negative thoughts. If I don't do this, then he won't accept me Right? If I'm unacceptable, then finally I can do something and then I'm acceptable to him. And if I do this, he loves me. If I do this, I'm acceptable to him. That's an unhealthy relationship altogether. Until I do something, then I'm acceptable. Right? Until I do something, I'm unacceptable to myself, to others, to God. Again, that leads to an immature, unhealthy spirituality, a deep spiritual brokenness. And that spills over into how I motivate my children and my, my friends or, or how I relate to my spouse or the people God has called me to minister to. So that question hangs over us, am I acceptable? What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? What is the truth Scripture say, and again, we'll, we need to go back to our scripture story from John chapter eight, verses one through 11. This is so, such a wonderful story, and it must have been important because it wasn't a, originally a part of the original canon. Did you know that? It was actually added later. 
Because this was something that occurred that people needed to hear. And so here's Jesus' dilemma, folks. Jesus' dilemma is what is he gonna do with this woman who is placed at his feet right there in the midst of this crowd? Is he gonna sentence her to death, which would go against pretty much his MO and who he is as a person because he was a type of person that would forgive sinners. He was the type of person that hung out with sinners. He certainly, why would he like say, well, just, just kill her, just stone her. That would be inconsistent with his character and his ministry. And also, if he was the one who said, okay, stone her, as a teacher, as a rabbi, he would have to be one of the first to throw the rock. So if he dismissed her and the Mosaic law, then he would be probably labeled as a false teacher altogether. So in verse six, we hear that Jesus stoops down and he just scribbles in the sand or whatever he writes in the dust that's at his feet. And that's one of the greatest mysteries in all of history, isn't it? What did he write? Some people speculate, well, maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments because if this was the finger of God, they would all know the Ten Commandments if they sat there and were watching him write. And also as the finger of God, it says in scripture, the finger of God wrote the tablets, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. Or maybe he's just doodling, he's trying to ignore these guys and these people and he's basically playing disinterested because he's embarrassed for this woman. They have her sin on display in front of all these crowd of people. And if we know Jesus' heart, it's compassionate. And he, he just doesn't, he's feeling horrible for her. And he just wants to say, this is not the most important thing, y'all. They press him and they press him and they press him. And finally he says, all right, all right. You want an answer? <laughs> and in his good Jesus way, he says, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone, cast the first stone. Then he just goes silent. Let's go. You know I mean? He doesn't, he doesn't even encourage. He just goes silent. And then it, he ups the ante, doesn't he? In the midst of that conversation of all those people, he ups the ante. He basically refocuses the everything from these lawmongers that are all about the law and these requirements and all that stuff. And he says, there's a new requirement. There's a gospel truth that I want to present to you. Then he basically says, hey, I'm going to call out all of you accusers and all you people gathered here. And just like this woman whose sin is on display, you get up here and put your sin on display. We'll see how that works out for you, right? And it says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away. They didn't run, they just kind of backed off and slowly disappeared one by one. Think about those accusers. A lot of people think, well, Jesus guilted them so much. Well, these guys are enraged. I mean, this is their normal way of treating people. They ain't gonna be guilted in by some rabbi teacher guy. I mean, they're not guilted in. There's something wrong with their hearts, though, because you ask, where's the repentance? Where's the atonement, right? I mean, the whole entire sacrificial system, that why they were at the temple, right? 
was to, yeah, to worship God, but they did it through sacrifices. And so worship for them and for them was atonement. They could be, they received forgiveness for their sins they kill an animal and they were atoned for a year. And so why are they worried about their sins? They knew deep down inside that if you took their life and put it on display, the crowd wouldn't accept them either. All their buddies and all the guys that maybe trumped up this whole idea, caught this woman in the trap, whatever it was, they wouldn't be accepted either. I mean, think about the woman. Deep down inside, this was a woman who was wondering, am I going to be accepted? Maybe it got her in the trouble in the first place. I mean, the whole idea that she's not acceptable, she's not worthy, and she's just trying to find that. And so, can we not see ourselves in the story? I mean, I think we can, right? And so, if we took the unacceptable Dunbar method, Okay, I'm just naming that for myself, okay? But the unacceptable Dunmar method would do it like this. You're a sinner, woman. I got you on the ropes, okay? And I, you know, got the opportunity to set her straight finally. We're gonna get her life straight. And so you're unacceptable. If you just get it together and you just act like these guys want you to act and act like the rules want you to act and you could just get there, then you would be acceptable, but what does Jesus do? What does Jesus demand of her? What does Jesus demand of this home wrecker who's destroyed relationships already? This sinner. It says verse 10 and 11, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And you gotta have one, more than one actually, to, to have a death penalty of a stoning. Okay, and they're all gone. But didn't one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So what Jesus does, and break this down, is Jesus offers grace and truth, and he speaks to the heart of an outcast. He speaks to the heart of this woman. He wants conviction to overtake rejection. Because rejection and feeling unaccepted or unworthy is not gonna bring any change into your life. Jesus doesn't accept her actions at all. Jesus accepts her. And she makes no excuse for her sin at all. She doesn't explain it away. But God, Jesus, accepts her fully for who she is, sin and all. And that's gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That, hey, Jesus came not to condemn the world, not to condemn people, but to die for them, to give them life. So what does Jesus really say in this moment? I thought of nine things, okay? I'm not gonna have a nine-point sermon, okay? I'm gonna travel through it a little bit. I was telling the other crowds, I, I have another 20 minutes of this sermon, but we're not, gonna, we're not gonna do it. My wife told me nobody wants to listen to that, okay? And so I shortened it. Okay, I shortened it. For my own safety, I shortened it. So, but nine characteristics of gospel truth, very important, listen to this. We can see this in this moment as well as, as we look at the ministry of Jesus. We can compile this together. Gospel truth, this gospel truth calls for an identity and an acceptance in Jesus Christ. 
Do not mistake Jesus the way he does things to an acceptance of this cultural-wide celebration. If I'm okay, then uh, if you're okay. It's not that. It's not that. It's a relationship, an identity, an acceptance, and walking in a life with Jesus Christ. And then also this gospel truth is, it, gospel truth sets people free. You understand that? It sets people free and unites them with God. Not with a set of rules or beliefs. It unites them with God. It unites them with Christ. Gospel truth is biased towards the poor in spirit and biased towards the sinner. We hear it all the time. We see it all the time in scripture. Gospel truth is driven by grace and truth. They're not independent of each other. They go together in harmony. And then gospel truth proclaims God doesn't forgive the evil act. He forgives the person, right? God's more interested in the person than the act. The gospel truth is found in real life people and real life relationships, not in a set of rules. Relationships always trump rules, always for Jesus. And the gospel truth applies to oneself first and then very, very softly applies to another. Because you and I don't change people. God changes people, right? And gospel truth is we all sin and we all will sin. So be patient with yourself Be patient with other people. Jesus doesn't say this gospel truth, though. He's not saying, he never does teach, that it's synonymous with tolerance of sin. Actually, he teaches later on in the chapter against that. And his apostles, his disciples, teach about it multiple times in the scriptures, okay? And Jesus also talks about how somebody in a relationship with somebody else, uh, Paul speaks about it a lot, about brothers and sisters. You can go, and if you're a brother and sister in Christ in them, you can go and and you can pass some sort of moral judgment in the sense that you have an accountability with them. You have a relationship with them. But he demands so much more. Jesus demands so much more. And he basically says, I believe a relationship with the Heavenly Father will convict you to go where God needs you to go and what God needs you to be and what God needs you to do. The gospel truth, the other thing I thought of, is forgiveness that instills hope and trust without weakening the struggle with sin. Without weakening the struggle against sin. Okay, um, it's, it's forgiveness that brings hope and trust. Now, I believe that this woman left this situation in a much better place than where she found herself, maybe even before any act happened. Okay, she saw grace and truth through the actions of Jesus that maybe was the real catalyst that began to change her life because she felt accepted, especially from Jesus. So, Question, am I accepted? Yes, if you're asking the right person. Jesus, right? He died to prove that you were accepted. There is no, the truth is, there's not one person that God no longer wants. They're simply people that haven't truly accepted 
God has to offer you. And so if you struggle like, like I do sometimes with this whole understanding that, gosh, I'm just not acceptable to God because I haven't done this or that, Jesus is not worrying about that. He wants you to understand who you are in him. And if you wanna be the best dad, if you wanna be the best student, if you wanna be the best person, if you wanna be the most fittest and healthiest mom or whatever it is, if you wanna stop sinning, if you wanna want get healthy, then go do it. Go do it. Because God wants you to do those things that bring life and hope. But if you don't do it, God loves you anyway. God accepts you anyway. Am I accepted? Yes, Christ, we're all accepted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, this is a deep subject that gets to the heart of a lot of us. For me, it's a struggle at times, am I unworthy because I haven't done something instead of being worthy because I live in you, trust in you. And so I just pray for, for us here. Maybe we just need to come to grips with accepting ourselves, accepting the love that you have for us and a faith and that you seek for us to trust in you. And then in doing so, we can love ourselves more and accept ourselves more and then ultimately accept others. We don't have to worry about their stuff. We can be, live a life with them and know you'll take care of them as well as you take care of us. Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for accepting us and proving it on a cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, I invite you to support our ministry by giving online at jwumc.org give. I also would invite you to find a church to attend on a regular basis or join us at John Wesley on Sunday mornings at 8.15, 9 o'clock, and 11.15. God bless and have a great week.